Welcome to the Arts and Antique Radio Show, where your host, nationally recognized certified appraiser Elizabeth Stewart, Santa Barbara's treasure sleuth, will help you put a value on the treasures in your own home. Every time it rains, it rains pennies from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains pennies from heaven? So let's find out. How valuable is it? Hello, 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 Santa Barbara. It's your Santress of everything valuable and beautiful. And I have a returning guest from two years ago. I have Jonna Ireland with me, talented and interesting and insightful, introspective. I don't know how many adjectives I can pull up. Photographer and our Museum of Art um, and the Museum of Contemporary Art in Santa Barbara, we're doing a collaborative show, uh, and it's called Jana Ireland True Story Index. And just have to give a little disclaimer. When I spoke to Jana last, no, two years ago, it was in regard to her book regarding Paul R. William, the first certified Black architect west of the Mississippi William uh, River. And uh, Williams was a Los Angeles native, and the book that I was interested in in, uh, in interviewing John about was um, her view. So it's called Regarding Paul R. Williams, a Photographer's View, and um, it's, uh, it's 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 beautiful. It, it intrigued me, and I thought, okay, I've got to find Jana. And now John has been found again by our Museum of uh, Contemporary Art and our Art Museum, and I want to know Jana. What that title is all about, True Story Index. Hi, Elizabeth. It's so wonderful to talk to you again. Thank you so much for having me back. Do you remember last, no, it's two years ago. Was it your youngest? Um, it, so you were sitting at in the kitchen yes. and we were on Zoom because it was the middle of COVID. And uh, that book, had ju- the book had just come out. I think it was 2021, the book came out. I interviewed you in 2022, and I kept on seeing this little guy dart in back of the kitchen table, and and uh, and he was making noise, and you tried to distract him, and and he made no make no noise, and I thought to myself, I've been there, I've done that. I had my son, you know, as a a single mom, I was a single mom, but the the way you balanced, I was impressed. The way you balanced the kitchen table. The little boy, and then I then there was another little boy's voice somewhere in the distance. <laughs> and those little boys are now how old? Uh, they are now six and eight, and thankfully at school today, and I am here in my office. So I have a nice quiet space to speak to you. <laughs> yes, I'm that very was thankful those for. <laughs> those not, was were they not at school because of COVID during that time, or what was going on that they were home? I'm not sure why they would have been home then. Um, that was right after my family moved from the Valley here in LA to where we currently live in the Eagle Rock neighborhood. And I can't think of why they would have been home, but whatever the reason was, I'm, I'm sure that I had no other option that day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. Okay. So back to my question. Yes. The show is called John Ireland True Story Index. Why? What? Why the title? Um, uh, is it a true story index would indicate to me that it's about factual things, 
but that they're indexed in some way or balanced in some way. Tell me more. That's absolutely part of it. Um, The true story part is sort of a way to acknowledge that there are stories that are true or somehow really related to the truth. Photographs that are straightforward, such as the photographs I made of Paul R. Williams's buildings or the photographs I made of West Hollywood at night. And then there are other other photographs where the stories are not true, where I'm playing a character, where I'm not exactly myself in them. And those are more like when someone says true story to indicate that something is not actually true. And then in between, there are stories that have some truth, but may also be leaning into fiction. So that part of it is trying to encompass all of those different aspects of my work. And then there are a couple of things going on with index. There is the way that an, an index is a kind of list, a way to organize information. And then in photography, um, we talk about photography's indexical nature, that a photograph, a true photograph is made from a subject being in front of the camera and the image, the light that comes off of that subject then being recorded on some kind of light sensitive surface. So that is an index. A photograph is an index of whatever that subject is. It means this thing was in this place in front of this camera and now we're looking at it later in another place. Okay, so apropos to that, um, you, you're you the lead photo in the advertisement for the um, a, mor- a Morning with John Ireland, which is Sunday, February 25th at 11 a.m. at the museum. That is a beautiful picture of you on the patio. Your outstretched hand is holding an egg and you are sitting at a table. looks looks like a brunch or breakfast table. In, in in kind of nice summer clothes and looking beautiful and uh, the table is set. You're just the one person there. It called me to mind about this um, idea of you as a character is you photograph mm-hmm. yourself, you know, quite a bit. And I, looking at your website this morning, early this morning, I'm thinking, okay, I see Jana through, you know, about four or five or six or seven years um and the and your children and your husband, et cetera. And what it made me think of is how do you present a character and still remain true? In other words, the index part and the true part. So let me see if I if I got if I have this right. When uh I speak with photographers in general as artists, they say, well, okay. Because I need to get myself out of the way, sometimes I present both sides of the story. So I'll present one side of the story that I am most closely aligned with. But on the other hand, I present the other side of the story um, that I'm not all that closely aligned with. So I'll give you an example. I was telling you about Jana, uh, my good friend Santi Vizali, and the show that was that is on right now at um, CAW, which is our Creative Arts uh, Workshop Center on Garden Street here in Santa Barbara, and it's um, his documentation of um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech at the UN Building in 1976. 
And he was very aligned with the anti-war movement at the time. And so he was taking photos of um, peace activists and this sort of thing as Dr. King was speaking. But on the other hand, on the other side of the coin, there were um, protesters that were pro-service uh, pro people. In other words, pro-army, pro pro-navy, et cetera. And they were holding big signs, support our troops. Even though it went against his grain to shoot sympathetically both sides, he only wanted to shoot one side sympathetically. <laughs> he did. And um, I said to him, now Santi's in his 90s now, but I said to him, why did you feel compelled to do that in almost every ph photograph that you took, you showed the other the other side as, as um, diplomatically as he could? And he said, because it's a good exercise in character. And I'm thinking, okay, well, now John is doing uh, herself as a character, in, especially in the series called, called The Spotless Mirror that I found uh, in your OVRA that was done 2011 to 2013. And I wonder, can you speak about that? Uh, that OVRA and how that came to be and why you felt to yourself to play a character? Mm. Um, the the work that you're describing, The Spotless Mirror, is the same body of work that that photograph you mentioned a few minutes ago with the brunch yeah. table and all of that comes from. Yeah. And in that work, I was photographing myself at my husband's grandfather's house in the valley. And what was going on then, I think, is that I wanted to, I wanted to photograph myself. I wanted to be seen in this work, but it also wasn't my house. I was interested in the house as a set, and it felt like to inhabit that set, I needed to be a character. I needed to um, be someone other than myself, even though, of course, I can't get away from looking like myself. I wasn't trying to do that either. I was trying to perform a different way than I usually do. And the performance I felt was really interesting because it has to do, in my opinion, with the life of objects. And so you are in essence an, an object. And it, you know, um, my my work as an appraiser of, of objects, whether it be art or furniture or any kind of object, I'm really fascinated by the the houses, the trapping of the of you say inhabit inhabitants. Well, the objects inhabit as well as the people. And I thought, oh gosh, when I was looking at that series called the Spotless Mirror of yours, I was thinking, okay, so the the porcelain actually that I know what kind of porcelain it is. It's called Huschenreuther. It's German porcelain, the mm. white porcelain the dogs and the horses, et cetera, the, 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 the animals, they start to have a life. And then the, the um, Murano bird in glass, Italian glass, Murano bird, that starts to have a life. And I thought, oh, I really like this because then there's you as an object as well. And I thought, oh, how interesting. Oh, Richard's giving us a sign. We got to go to a quick break, but I want to reintroduce. I'm talking with Jana Ireland. This is um, the second conversation I've had with Jana, and this time we're talking about her show, which is at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art, and also the Museum of Contemporary Art 
It's a two-institution collaboration and presentation. It's on view February 11th to June the 2nd. And on February 25th, she's coming to the Santa Barbara Museum of Art for a conversation. It's called The Morning with Jonna Ireland. Jonna is an artist and she's assistant professor in the Department of Art and Art History at Occidental College. Um, and then she's got, well, her work is in many institutions, Nevada Museum of Art, California African-American Museum, Santa Barbara Museum of Art, and the Museum of Contemporary Photography at Columbia College in Chicago, amongst other places. When I interviewed her in 2022, she was showing at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art's Charles White Elementary School Gallery and exposing the kids to some of her work. It's fascinating. And I'm so thrilled that she's coming to Santa Barbara to talk to us and also show her work. This is a series of work that I guess Charles Wiley and Je Jenna and also Frederick Jenka uh, have named jo John Ireland True Story Index. Fascinating title. Hey, Richard, let's go to quick break. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Jonna Ireland, photographer, professor, uh, philosopher, et cetera, et cetera. And um, Jonna is, I think, a year away from her 40th birthday. Is that right? <laughs> next year. Yes. And next August, year. Next year. And so this is, yes, this is a um, mid-career survey and the largest presentation of Ireland's photos and installations to date. And we were talking about one particular um series of photos that I fell in love with um, called the spotless mirror and the photographs taken from 2011 to 2013. I really like that series because it plays with the idea of habitation and the objects that share our space with us. And when I was asking Donna, she ended up being one of those objects sharing that space and the space was not hers. The space was her husband's grandfather's house. Tell me a little more about that series, Jana. Well, I knew that I wanted to use this house, but I wanted to find a way to connect it to the work that I'd been doing and my hopes for finding ways to represent myself and my work. So I came to the, to the idea of putting the two subjects together and through working on it, um, I guess the house itself became a character and without really thinking about it as what I was doing, I began sort of photographing the house and thinking about architecture, which then led to a lot of other work that I did later. Yeah, I revisited the house uh, several years later with my children and made a body of work that was a sequel to the spotless mirror. So that work, milk and honey, um, the photographs in the two bodies of work sort of talk to each other. And there might be one photograph in Milk and Honey that's a direct reference to a photograph in the spotless mirror. So I wanted I to keep that. looking at the space. Yeah, I noticed that. And um, it, 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 it intrigued me because there's the same themes running through both uh, Milk and Honey and Spotless Mirror. I think the idea of um, the house as kind of a monument you know, the house is sort of frozen in time 
So, yes. you know, the domestic quality, uh, you as mother really came through. Um, and then things that are associated with like frilly feminine things. Like there's an image that I, I fell in love with of a, you're holding, or a hand is holding a, 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 a very ornate flowered pink, et cetera, teacup in a saucer. And then the next image, the teacup is broken on a slab of beautiful white marble floor. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, that's, you know, playing with the idea of how things uh, live in time and how they don't live in time. Mm. I think that's a great way to look at those images. Uh, I think I wanted to just deal with some of those symbols of friendliness, as you said, of femininity, but then disrupt them a little bit and maybe talk about what is or what could be on the other side of this promise of a perfect life. Right. The perfect life is as exemplified in a spotless habitation, which really is not spotless at all, because then, you know, the uh, images of things that are broken, like the eggs that are cracked and the bees that are dead and this sort of thing. So it's, it's it, with life, it's never never as clean as as uh, as we see in in fiction and 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 some of the photos are fiction because you're playing a character yes yeah. uh, the photograph that you just described with the teacup broken on the marble floor was actually not made at my husband's grandfather's house it was made in the house i was living in at the time in south pasadena i borrowed a panel of floor from a company that sells marble tiles and things like that so that I could continue to make this work about one house while I was at home with my children in another house. So there's an additional layer of fiction baked into that one. Interesting, 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 interesting. And like I said, going through both series, I was like, okay, I recognize the maker of this, I recognize the maker of that, and I can identify the porcelain and the sculpture, etc. And um, yeah, this idea that they, 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 you get an idea of class as well. So it's, you know, middle upper class objects that you associate that fine German porcelain with, for example. And uh, so, you know, I got a sense of um, um, your husband's grandparents and where they, where they fit in the, in the category of, of class and wealth as well, just by the objects. Yes. And then thinking about how, I fit in with those objects. Yep. Um, there are things going on with time, the interior design in the house and these objects are very much from the sixties and kind of what was going on in interior design. Then my grandmother had a lot of very similar objects from her own remodel in the sixties. So what does it mean to then um, deal with those objects in the two thousands and how does that, what sense of time does that create in the photographs? Where, when are they taking place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea, but a lot of a lot of what I saw in your work in regards to the objects themselves is sort of an ironic eye. So okay, you know, you're looking at this as 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 a as frozen. You know, when um, uh, how can I describe this? So so 
I don't even know if you if you knew this, but the the uh, the porcelain that do you know the white the white porcelain uh, flower bowl with the flower frog on top of the animals in a circle that that image can you call to mind your image? I think uh, I think you're describing one that's of it's an ashtray and it has three figures on top. So, so it's not really an ashtray. It's 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 a flower dish. It used to be. It's a German thing, <laughs> but but it's it's a. I don't think it's a. I, maybe they used it as an ashtray, but it's a flower dish with a. It's got. Uh, then it has the figures of the animals in the middle, and you float flowers in that thing. But at any rate, it's a German. It's type of German porcelain. Like I said, it's the brand is Huschenreuther, and they specialized in animals that move. So it's like frozen sculpture. And mm. they did that. That was a thing that that was really popular in in um, in, uh, in Europe. Uh, their their porcelain was super popular in Europe in the 30s and the 40s on, and into the 50s. And uh, they, they specialized in these, the almost like frozen movement. And usually it's in the called in Blanc de Chine, white on white. So a white porcelain with a clear glaze. Yeah. And I looked at that, I said, oh, that is so cool because the idea is that it's a photograph which is frozen in time of a work that's meant to be frozen in time in its inception, probably back in the 40s. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it talk about layers, uh, really interesting to me because basically, like I said, to me, those objects speak about identity, class, um, time. Uh, as you say, the, the the interior design has changed tremendously, <laughs> and then also the kind of people that would, um, as you as you as I saw in those photos, treasure the idea that that was our life then, not mm -hmm. change. Absolutely, um, I think all of those things are are sort of built into it. No. Well, Richard's giving us, Christine, we got to go to a quick break. I want to talk about something maybe you can think about, Jana, during the break, which is in selecting the images for your show which, with um, Frederick and Charlie, uh, the show is Jana Ireland True Story Index on view February 11th to June the 2nd. By the way, there's an artist talk Sunday, February 25th at 11 a.m. at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art. It's called The Morning with Jana Ireland. Jana will be speaking at the museum. I, I want to ask this question when we get back from the break. Was there one photo in the show that was hard to make? Hard to mm. make, difficult to make, and why? And when you reviewed your work to pick that one, was there like a little bit of a, I don't know, like a struggle or a, I struggled with it then. Am I struggling with that image now kind of feeling? Okay. That's what I want to know when we get back from break. Hey, Richard, we'll go to a quick break and we're back with John Ireland in just a second. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Jana Ireland, and it turns out I thought I 
discovered her myself two years ago when the um, uh, Historical Preservation Society had uh, an advertisement for her book and, and gave it glowing reviews. And I thought, I got to find this book and I got to find this artist. And a couple of years back, I interviewed her on this station here. Um, and uh, I remember her kids running around during the hour. Now the Santa Barbara Museum of Art is doing a mid-career survey, retrospective, et cetera. John Ireland, True Story Index. Charles Wiley's curating, along with Frederick Yanka of the uh, Contemporary Art Museum here in Santa Barbara. And it's a collaborative show. My question for Jana before the break, was there an image in the show that was picked by the two curators and Jana that was a difficult image to take and perhaps a difficult image to accept into the show itself? What do you think, Jana? The example that I'm thinking of wasn't necessarily difficult to get into the show, but was really difficult to make. The show has a lot of work that I made um, between, say, 2011 and maybe around 2022. And then when I found out that the show was happening and that I had the opportunity to, to bring all of this work together, I also wanted to make some new work. That's part of what um, what the curators and I decided for putting the show together, that new work needed to be generated. So what I decided to do was make a body of work, really a single piece about my grandmother and make it in the dark room. So what I, I usually work digitally, usually with a digital camera and make digital prints, or even if I'm working with film, the prints end up being digital. But I wanted to make this project in the darkroom because I wanted to use her actual photographs. I wanted to work with her photographs, not with an image of her photographs that was scanned and put on a screen. I wanted to have the objects and manipulate them in the darkroom space. So I spent a period of... Oh, sorry. Let me interrupt. Oh, I understand. You wanted to work with your grandmother's photos. Would you, did your grandmother take these photos? My grandmother took many photos in her lifetime, but I was mostly interested in the photographs of her. Okay, I wanted to make uh, sort of a portrait of her through time. So I spent a period of time going through these photographs, deciding what I was interested in using and then several months working in the darkroom and creating these individual panels. The final piece is 21 panels, all meant to be shown together in a particular order that I consider one big piece. And so I was day after day returning to the darkroom, working with these images, making new versions of the images, deciding whether I wanted to keep them or remove them, thinking about how they fit in with all of the rest of them and how they contributed to the story of her as a person and her interests and, and her life. There are a couple of photographs that she took included. I wanted to think about her as a person who traveled and was very excited about the world and was looking at the world through a camera, but I also really wanted to look at her. And I also brought in 
um, some objects that belong to her, some jewelry, including the necklace that I'm wearing right now that I wear every day, and um, things like flowers. There are lilies included in the work. Lilies are mourning flowers. So I made this work just a few months after she passed away, and I was still processing that and dealing with it. And it felt as though um, making work that was about uh, this labor-intensive process, making work that was about this duration, about spending a lot of time with these materials and really thinking about them felt like a good and appropriate way to mourn and to kind of meditate on her as a person and her effect on my life, which was enormous. So do you think that the series of 21 images, that's one work of art, if I was to look at those images, would I see your grandmother as you see her? Hmm. I would say you would see some things that I see, but it's there's no way to get everything about her as a person or my experience of her as a person into the work. So I didn't even try. And I also didn't, I didn't want to make work about her as a grandmother. I didn't want to make work about her as a mother. So there's an image that I'm in, but I block my own face with an image of her face. There's an image that my aunt is in and I sort of hide her face. So the, my grandmother is the person you see again and again. And then the only other person you see is my grandfather who passed away when my mother was eight. So I wanted to really look at her as, as a woman, as a person who um, was vivacious and, use, and youthful and funny and had all of these interests outside of family, the family life that I knew her from. What role, this is a, this is a, a girly question. But what role does, did clothing play? Hmm. In the work about my grandmother, I think yeah. I was in looking at her clothing. There's a lot. There are a lot of clues about time. Yeah. So you can maybe understand that a particular photograph is from the 1940s or from the 1970s or made closer to her death the way that someone maybe in their 80s or 90s might dress in contemporary time. And it's interesting because I noticed that round shapes intrigue you, such as the egg and the pearls that people wear, you know, women wear around their neck. There's there's a, a number of pearl uh, pearl jewelry shots. And that's what made me ask that question about what, you know, what her clothing, uh, was the clothing also a character in, uh, in the selection of the 21 images? To some extent, but it was really about her and her smile and maybe hair is more of a factor than clothing. A lot of the images are, are cropped closely enough that what you're really seeing is her face and then her hair could be another clue about time and style. In what way, Jana? Just, uh, you know, there's a style that looks very much like a woman would have worn um, working at home during World War II or a style that is more um, 
you know, more of an 80s style or more of a 90s style. Definitely. Yes, definitely. And that was a difficult, difficult series just because you were mourning, but also the mechanics of it. The medium itself is more difficult because you're in the dark room. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, um, it was difficult to go through the pictures, especially um, there was one one day I was looking through her pictures and I found a piece of tape that she had touched and left her fingerprint on. And looking at that and thinking, I'm, I might be the last person who really looks at this and is deeply moved by it and thinks of it of, of it as an object that this this person I love very much touched and left a trace on. And then, yes, the process itself was difficult and very time consuming, but also um, felt felt very good and, and kind of cathartic. Right. So, Richard, I sense, okay, you, you say you have to wind this section up, but I sense you're, so Richard had a dark room in his bedroom as a kid. And uh, Richard was intrigued from the from time he was tiny uh, with the process of the dark room. And I could see on Richard's face he was dying to ask you a question. So our producer Richard Dugan, what do you, what 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 question do you have, Richard? I, I can see it in you, all over you. I'm going to put this question to you, but I want you to answer it after the break, if we can do that. It has to do with working with uh, again your grandmother's pictures. Were you working with actual photographs or were you working with the negatives so i want to and then and that process because i absolutely loved working with my enlarger with uh clear and 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 semi-clear objects that i would put on the photo paper and so forth and then uh uh, manipulating the images in contrast and so forth so can we uh, do that elizabeth come back after the break let's go to quick break Welcome back. Now, Richard asked John Ireland a question when we, uh, let me give a little background. So if you're just joining us, John did, uh, first of all, this is, this interview is to celebrate the show coming up or, or actually opened, uh, John Ireland True Story Index at our museum. It'll be February 11th. It opened June 2nd. It closes. But the reason that John is on the air right now is that there's, a, I want to announce there's a Sunday February 25th, 11 a.m. talk that Jonna will be giving at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art. Now, Charles Wiley and um, Frederick Yanka are the co-curators uh, of the show. And they got together and said to Jonna, look, we need you to make some current work. Jonna decided to do a darkroom series of her grandmother's photos of pictures of her grandmother through time. They are in a, I don't know what you call a 21 image. It's not a triptych or diptych. It's a 21 titch. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a word for that. Of, yeah. There's one, it, it, it represents one body of work. Shortly after Jana's grandmother had passed, and I asked a question of Jana, do, if I looked at the, 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 the 21 images, 
would I understand? Would I know her grandmother? Jana said, well, you would partially. And then Richard said, okay, so were those images, go ahead, Richard, ask that question again. Were they actual, the actual photographs or were they, did you have access to the negatives? So there were a few different processes involved in making this. There were actual photographs of hers. And for those, I was able to make contact prints. So I could take the surface of one of her photographs and put it face to face with the light sensitive surface of a new piece of photo paper and expose them to light in the dark room and then make a reversed copy of that image. That's process number one. Process number two, involved making negatives. There were no negatives included in her photo albums. And a lot of the photographs are stuck to the pages and can't be removed without destroying them. So in order to bring those into the process, what I had to do was re-photograph them to generate a set of new negatives that I could then bring into the darkroom, put into the enlarger, and exposed to create photographic images now, and those were fun to work with because they could be layered and then i could change the size and things in a way that i couldn't when making those contact prints from her images now why photograph those photos if you will those pictures that were stuck as opposed to scanning them into the computer what did you want to stay away from digitizing i wanted to continue to work with them in the dark room mm. Um, there's something exciting to me about using the darkroom in kind of an experimental way. Yeah. And then it also allowed me to blend those other types of images with images or with thing with parts of the images made from the third process, which is the photogram process, which would be putting an object like a flower or this necklace that I mentioned a moment ago onto that same light sensitive paper and exposing it to create kind of an outline of that object on the paper. So through um, through creating these negatives and also working with actual physical photographs in the dark room, and then also laying objects on top of the paper, I could create images that were, um, that had kind of different, different dimensions to them. So the, the final images are flat, but they're a combination of several different kinds of images. And it sounds to me like you prefer analog versus digital photography and processing simply because and in spite of how sophisticated programs like Photoshop are, you don't have the tactile experience that you have when you're in the darkroom. And I can attest to that. Yes. Um, the work that I made of my grandmother theoretically would be a lot easier to make in Photoshop. But if I try to do something like that in Photoshop, it just isn't fun. It mm. isn't, I don't get the same satisfaction from it. And I do love working digitally. I love how, um, you know, I, I can make some really beautiful prints with the camera that I'm using and with a great printer, but I really wanted to be, to get that tactile experience, to move the objects around and then move them through the chemistry in the dark room and go through the process of making multiple copies of each one and and all of that I, I wanted to have fun in the dark room and sort of return to what first excited me about photography and photographic process there's also richard this thing um that 
you know, I, I can really identify what John is saying as regards to the feeling of working in the dark um, or and actually paying homage to someone who's gone. Um, I remember when my grandmother left the planet, um, you know, we the family all flew out uh, and uh, we all got together in her house. And I remember I was what in graduate school at the time. And I remember going to her costume jewelry drawer. Hmm. And even though, I mean, what difference does it make if, if the costume jewelry is sorted out or not before the funeral? What yeah. difference does it yeah, make? Exactly. But to me, I thought it's really important and I've got to touch all these things and make sure that, yeah. you know, each each thing was was categorized. It's a ritual and a ceremony yeah. of sorts. I absolutely. Couldn't agree with absolutely. you more. Yeah. 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 So do, do we do we have a few more minutes, Richard? Well, we do. Following this break, we need to take. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then we'll just reintroduce Jenna and tell about the lecture that's coming up with her. Okay, let's go to a quick break. Welcome back. It's Elizabeth Stewart. I'm speaking with Jana Ireland. Her show is at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art True Story Index, and it is a mid-career survey and the largest presentation of Jana's photographs and installations to date. And I have to say this is a delight because I spoke to Jana when she came out with her book on, well, it's called Regarding Paul, um, Paul R. Williams, and it is the uh, an architectural book. And my my master's was in architectural history, and I was so fascinated by by this particular book. And uh, regarding Paul R. Williams, a photographer's views, published by Angel City Press in 2020. Um, and, John, and so I interviewed John about this book, which was featured in the um, Historical Preservation Newsletter at the time. And now John is coming to Santa Barbara with a complete retrospective mid-career survey of all her work. And I had a delightful morning looking at the um, work online and you can find it with Jana Ireland. And Jana is J-A-N-N-A, Ireland, like the, like the country Ireland. Um, what's so interesting is there's a lot of uh, images of identity, female identity, black identity, uh, um, uh, the identity that one forges through time. Um, that's fascinating in, in so far as some of the themes that are in the work in general are really dear to my heart, which is ha having to do with a, st a structure, a building, a home, a habitation, the domestic side of life, including stuff of the house, objects. Jana, what, what do you think about when you are focusing on an object? What does that object say to you? Hmm. I think it depends on what it is. Uh, it depends on who it belongs to. Um, lately, I've been photographing a lot of objects that belong to my children. And when I photograph them, I think that they are about the process of play and exploration, the process of growing up, 
the process of learning through touching and I don't know, silliness sometimes um, about the mess that that children can create and that family life can create. But if I am focusing on an object in a very orderly home, it's telling a different story. I might be telling a story about wealth or it might be telling a story about the fragility of that particular object or about the color of the object and the light reflecting from it if it's a color photograph or about the formal qualities of the object if it's in black and white right so what's so interesting to me is is the word itself so if you talk about you said your children's belongings uh, to belong is also part of that word and habitation has to do with the word that richard was using a habit a ritual uh, there's, you know, it, it, and, and, you know, I really get that sense of, um, um, of, of the double identity of, of words like that when I'm looking at some of your images. Just a, a, a quick shout out. We've got Jana Ireland, True Story Index. It opened February 11th at our Santa Barbara Museum of Art. Go see it. And then Sunday, February 25th at 11 a.m., you can go and meet Jana herself and talk with her about her work. Go see the work first and, and, and come to the Morning with John Ireland on Saturday, Sunday, February 25th at 11 a.m. at the museum. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait to see the show. I'm going this weekend. Can't wait to see it. And it's great, great to talk with you yet again. And congratulations on this really remarkable show. Um, and, you know, this is, she isn't even born yet. Richard, how about that? <laughs> Thank you for having me. I I had such a wonderful time speaking with you again. Thank you, Jeff. Bye.